If I were to ask you to define Christmas with just one word, apart from Jesus, what word would that be? Uh, maybe the word love, uh, right? I mean, that's a, certainly the greatest love story ever told. Maybe the word joy, certainly. Uh, anybody else, you have another word? Peace, rejoice, hope, yes, right? All of those any one of those words could define Christmas, but Christmas is hope. Just when the, everything in the world seemed hopeless, God showed up. Hope came. God showed up. Hope is a desire for something good in the future. Do you have hope for the future? Do you have a desire for something good in the future? Uh, but it goes beyond that. It's more than just a, this hope for the future, something good in the future. It also in, it's, it includes this sense of confidence, a confidence in God, a confidence in who God is. Uh, you can remember being a kid and growing up and uh, you went to bed on Christmas Eve and was there something you were hoping for? And on Christmas morning, right, you were anticipating, there was this looking forward to waking up and the excitement of all of that. Can, has it been too long? How many of you can remember that as a kid? Sleeping with one eye open, you know, and just really anticipating, excited. And yeah, that's, that's hope. But, uh, you know, as a kid, you're hoping that you were a good little boy or a good little girl all year. And that, is that how the song goes? And that's why you're getting some presents under the tree? <laughs> I don't know. When it comes to biblical hope, our hope is in the goodness of our Heavenly Father. The faithfulness of our Heavenly Father, not our goodness, because we don't have any, right? Our hope is, is based in the goodness, the faithfulness, the love of our God. That is biblical hope. And yet sometimes we struggle with this. We struggle with hope. Sometimes we lose our hope, don't we? We do. We, 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 we get into some circumstance, some situation. We get some bad news. And man, how quickly it seems that, that our hope can be deflated. I mean, if, if a guy like David, King David in the Bible, if a guy who it is said of him that he was a man after God's own heart. If David could struggle with hope, if at times David had this overwhelming sense of hopelessness, I guess that maybe we could struggle with that too, right? Maybe we could too. Remember David, he says, oh my soul, why are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Have you been there where your heart you feel this turmoil for whatever reason. I think we can identify with David. There are times when we go through these uh, situations where we feel downcast and our soul is disturbed and in turmoil. I think if David struggled with it, we do too. And what we can learn from David is David learned to preach to himself three important words. He said, oh soul, why are you in such turmoil? And then he said, hope in God. He was preaching to himself a sermon, right? He knew he was discouraged. He knew he, he felt that his hope was gone. And he told himself, hope in God. God is the one who is able to turn 
our hopelessness, that sense that we get at times in our life, he's able to turn that around. He's actually able to turn it around into praise. David said, Saul, why are you in such turmoil? Hope in God. And then he goes on, the very next thing he says, and I will praise you. That's what God is able to do when we turn our focus away from our hopelessness and our our problem and we turn our focus to him. And that's what we're going to see tonight. Last week we saw that uh, we can hope because God knows when to show up. We saw that from Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Jesus came to us, he became one of us, and he overcame for us. And tonight, from Luke chapter 2, we're going to see that we can hope because God knows when to speak up. God knows when to show up, and tonight, God knows when to speak up. And here in Luke chapter 2, Dr. Luke records the details surrounding Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. This is the classic Bible story of Christmas. This is the one that you often hear recited And it has such a familiar ring to it. Notice in verse number seven, then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Of all the events that have shaped human history, this one moment stands above the rest. Yes, the cross would overshadow it, yes, but Up to this point, this particular event overshadowed every other event. It was the day that God became man. And a few minutes ago, we read from John chapter 1 where it says that the word was in the beginning and the word became flesh. Jesus Christ is God's word. He is the living word of God. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the climax of God's word, of God's divine revelation. This is Hebrews chapter 1. It says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by prophets at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so when Jesus came into the world, he became the end-all, be-all for divine revelation, the climax of God's revelation. And so to see this here in Luke chapter 2 and to see this drama unfold of the incarnation, the word becoming flesh, God stepping down from heaven and coming into our world, becoming a man so that he could overcome for us. It's amazing because what we see in verse number 8 is that God chooses to make this big announcement. God chooses to speak up in our world through the person of Jesus first to some shepherds. It says in verse eight, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flocks. So they're somewhere outside the city of Bethlehem. They're watching their sheep, right? There are others that that God could have made this announcement to, right? They were Roman government officials in town. Uh, there were magistrates. There were tax collectors. There were, there were uh, high and influential uh, business people inside Bethlehem. But no, God chooses to speak up first to these shepherds. Why do you suppose God reveals himself to lowly shepherds? I think it has something to do with the fact that God, the Bible says, he You know what it says about the humble? What does it say? It says that he 
What does he do? He exalts the humble, right? You see, the proud in the city, God, God walked right past them. The angels didn't herald the message to them. He was looking for these humble shepherds out in the field. And it says here in verse number nine, this is God speaks up. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were terrified. And the angel says to them, what, is it, what does the angel say? Don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you what? Good news of great joy that will be to all people. What is this? This is a message of hope. This is a message of hope for all people. And so I want us to notice tonight, first of all, and I encourage you to maybe jot some of these things down or go to lifepath.church, click on that first link and, and look at these notes and you can email them to yourself. But number one, when God speaks up, he relieves our fears. Do you see it there in verse number 10? The angel says, what's the first thing out of his mouth? Don't be afraid. You know, when you read the Christmas story, you go back to chapter one, you see God speak to Zacharias, you see God speak to Mary in chapter one, and you see God speak to the shepherds here. Do you know that all three of these messages begin with three words? Yes. Don't be afraid. When God speaks up, he alleviates our fears. Three times God speaks. Three times he says, don't be afraid. Now listen, why do we often feel afraid? What makes you afraid? What, what is it that bothers you as a mother? You know? what, is, what is that fear that you have for your children? Well, uh, grandmother, what, what, is it, what fear do you have when it comes to your grandchild? Dad, what fear do you have for, for your, your family? You know, what are the fears that we have when it comes to our career, our workplace, living in the, in the age that we do, our job, right? Uh, when we think about our world, when we think about our, our nation, do you find yourself at times having certain fears, certain things that disturb you on the inside? You know, if you dwell long enough on those fears, what happens? Does it get better no, no. The longer we dwell on fear, the more it begins to grip our hearts, doesn't it? Do you notice that? The longer we think about the fear, the more we focus on the fear, the more we fear. Look, every one of us can identify with the emotion of fear. We battle, every one of us battle it to some Degree, And it's one of the most powerful emotions that we have as human beings. And it has a way of like tying our stomach up in knots. Have you ever been so fearful of something before that you actually felt sick? Like sick to your stomach? Nauseous, right? That, that actually, that's a real thing. We've experienced that. That's what happens. Well, why are the shepherds afraid? Why is it that the angel says, don't be afraid. Well, I think we have to remember something about angels. What, what image do you have in your head of an angel? 
Anybody have this image in your head that you kind of see like on a cartoon or something and there's a cloud and there's this chubby little baby and he's got wings and a harp and, and he's kind of floating around on, on uh, you know, this cloud, you know. What, what, what imagery do you have of angels? How many of you have like an angel somewhere on your Christmas tree, right? And they're dressed in white and there's wings and they, they just look... They just look so pleasant and like someone you just walk up to and just want to put your arms around, you know, or someone you just open your door and welcome into your home. The reality of it is, is that every time that you see someone meeting an angel in the Bible, they're scared to death. They're terrified. That's what we see every single time. And so every single time you see an angel show up, the first thing out of their mouth is, wait, 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 don't die. Don't die on me. Don't kill over, you know, and have a heart attack, right? Have you, I, I, I said hello to, to someone tonight before the service, and, and I kind of came up to their side, and, and I, whew, you know, she kind of jumped a little bit, like, oh, you scared me. Uh, how many of you are jumpy like that? My wife is like, don't, don't tell her I told you, but, but man, you, you can scare her so easily. In fact, Jonathan, every so often, likes to do that. I, do, I don't try to do it because I don't, I don't want her to like keel over the heart attack. I, I want to keep her around a, a good long time. But man, there are times, man, you just walk, you, you come into the room and she doesn't know you're there and she'll just kind of jump right out of her, right out of her shoes. This is the kind of response that humans had in the Bible to angels, and it makes sense. I mean, when, when you think about God's Shekinah glory, when you think about the, who the Lord is, the angel of the Lord would cause someone to shake in their boots. And, and the question just relating to our lives is, what is it that makes you fear the most in life? We all fear something. Do, do you know what the greatest fear of a human being is, do you know what the number one fear of humans is? It's not spider, what did you say? That is exactly right. There's a guy who used to train speakers right there. He used to, he used to train speakers, and that's exactly right, you know? Spiders, who's afraid of spiders? Oh, come on, you're a bunch of liars. Put your hand up, we're all, <laughs> we're all, <laughs> we're all afraid of spiders, right? I, how many of you like to get into bed with a spider? Yeah, not me. <laughs> right? Spiders, snakes, anybody afraid of snakes? Yeah, I, I know, you know. Um, but it is, it's public speaking, which is weird. It's weird, right? I mean, it's, it's like we would, we would rather, you know, encounter a spider or a snake, you know, die from that than have to stand up in front of some people. That's going to just make us turn cold and keel over. But we're, we, and we understand this concept of fear because it's, it's part of our human existence. And we're especially afraid when we encounter things that is, are unexpected. And what I want us to see tonight is that there are three types of fears that we see in the Christmas story. And the to see the first one, we have to back up a little bit to chapter one. This is the angel of the Lord appearing to Zechariah, right? Zechariah, uh, Zechariah, this is Luke chapter 1 in verse number 11. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. This was one of those like, oh, 
You know, he wasn't expecting uh, someone to be, and they're much less an angel. When I was a kid, I, uh, growing up, I used to clean the church on Sunday afternoons between the Sunday morning and Sunday night service. And I, so I was there alone in this large building oftentimes in the middle of the afternoon, and I'm cleaning, and the sound guy, the sound tech, Mark Southward, this guy, I'm telling you what, he would show up sometimes, I think, just to scare the living daylights out of me. And that's what he would do. He'd come up behind me, and he would say, boo! You know, and that, and that, would, that would just, it never made me happy, I can tell you that. We like our fears to come with warning labels, don't we? Warning labels, like, like okay, uh, I'm here, uh, the spider's over here, warning, you know, big flashing lights, uh, something like that. When you get on a roller coaster, we went to Disney last summer, man, and it was like you're walking, <laughs> we're getting on Space Mountain, and the whole walk, the whole walk, and it's this long walk weaving through this thing, this is Disney World, and um, the whole time, you just hear this, this message repeating, like, if you have a heart condition, if you're over the age of 10, I don't know. I, I, I was kind of blanking out. I kept thinking, should I be getting on this thing? You know, am I going to die of a heart attack on, on this thing? We like our fears to come with, with warning labels. How many of you have ever watched Jaws before? How many of you have watched Jaws more than once? Twice? Three times? Four times? right? Okay. You've seen it on the umpteenth time that you've seen Jaws. Let me ask you a question. When Jaws comes in to grab the lady in the, in the, in the water, does it scare you as much as it did the first time? It does? I don't know. It's like watching the, those scary horror movies, and I hate those things, but, you know, the, the person getting stabbed in the shower or something, you know, after you've seen it like maybe 10 times, Maybe you're still doing this, but you know, what, you know what's coming, right? Zechariah, he's there. He's been chosen. It's his day to, of duty to go into the holy place and, and to, to, with, the, with the incense, and he's just in there doing his religious, ceremonial, ritualistic duty, and bam, there's an angel in there. Totally unexpected. Now, here's the thing. Zechariah and his wife, they had been praying for a son, his wife was childless, and, and they were, the Bible tells us there in Luke chapter 1 that they were well up in years, and they thought that this was really hopeless, and the angel shows up, and the angel scares the living daylights out of old Zach. The fear of the unexpected. We don't like the unexpected. We don't like the unexpected phone call. Do you ever get a phone call from someone, dads, dads, when one of your children call you in the middle of the day, what is the first thing that goes to your mind? What's wrong? Right? That, I, and that's just how, that's how I think. Like, they don't normally call me at this time of day. Something must be wrong. <laughs> Something must be wrong, right? What is it? What is it about the unexpected? We, we don't want the unexpected news from the doctor. Sometimes we don't go to the doctor because maybe we sense that we have a problem and we just don't want to hear about it. We're afraid of whatever that unexpected news uh, could be. Look, when we strip the ritual and routine and tradition 
away from, from Christmas, right? We, and we think about the incarnation, the mystery of all of that. We think about Jesus coming into this world. Why, why are we afraid of the why are we afraid of the unknown? Why are we afraid of the unexpected? But we do. We're, we're, how are we going to pay the bills? How, you know, the economy and the way it is. I mean, inflation and all this. How are we going to, to take care of all of these financial obligations that we have? And we can sit and project out in our head and we can think about tomorrow and the next day and the next year. And man, that can cause us to fear just as real as Zechariah being afraid there of this unexpected angel. We also see in the Christmas story the fear of the uncontrollable. The uncontrollable. Later in chapter 1, this is uh, um, Mary. An angel appears to Mary. This is Luke 1, 28. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this would be. This is the fear of the uncontrollable. What does this mean? Well, think about Mary's life up to this point. She had life figured out. She had life planned down at least. Uh, she's young. Uh, she's engaged to Joseph. I mean, what do you think her plans were? Joseph and I are going to get married, and we're going to build a cute little house in the country, you know, and we're going to have start a family, and we're going to have children, and, and Joseph's business is going to blossom and grow, his carpentry business, and, and we're going we're gonna to just make a comfortable lives for our, don't, isn't this what every, young woman getting married dreams of, I, I guess, right? I mean, the, the natural things of we're going to have a family together and it's going to be so wonderful and, and uh, you know, as we get older, our, our kids will take care of us. And of course, every Saturday we'll go to the synagogue and, and we'll pray for, for, the, for God to send the Messiah. That was the basic plan that Mary most likely had. Then Gabriel showed up. Then the angel of the Lord shows up and Mary discovers a new kind of fear, the fear of the uncontrollable. One short, uninvited, unexpected conversation with an angel short circuits all of her cherished plans. I don't even think that Gabriel did much to really calm her down. I mean, she didn't doubt like Zechariah did when, when he heard that his wife was gonna have a child he doubted. He was speechless for, for some period of time. But Mary doesn't doubt. She, she believes, but that's the problem. The problem is that she actually believes the angel. She actually like, believes, like, I'm going to have a child? Like, what? I'm going to have a child. I'm going to have a baby. I mean, this was going to change her life forever. What if Gabriel's story was even half true? Who is going to accept her story, right? She's going to go back to her parents and, and to Joseph and to her neighbors, and she can, she's going to tell them, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pregnant, but hey, it's okay. It's from the Holy Spirit. It was all God's idea. Yeah, that's, everybody's going to be like, yeah, that's a great alibi, but we're not buying it, right? 
Nobody bought it. Nobody believed that. I mean, God had to send an angel to Joseph to let him in on it. Otherwise, he would have never believed it. Mary's fear came from actually hearing the message that threatened the predictability of her life. And here's the truth about us. We're control freaks. And what I mean by that is we like to be in control of our lives. We want to be in control of our destiny, right? We want to be in control of of our future. We want to be in control of, of the different details of our lives. Why? Because then we we feel like, well, it's all under control. If I'm controlling it, if I can control the narrative, if I can control the circumstances, then I have some sense of, of peace, right? That, that it's all under control. But really, underneath all of that need for control is really, it's fear and anxiety. We're afraid of what could happen outside of our control. It's hard for us. You know, as as dads, as husbands, it's hard for us to feel like we don't have control. And this is the fear of the uncontrollable, and it's something that we're familiar with. The third fear is the fear of the unknown, and that's, that's back in Luke 2. That's when the angels show up and shock the living daylights out of the shepherds there in the field. It says in verse 9, at the end of the verse, it says, they were terrified they're just out there minding their own business (laughs) they're just they're just out there taking care of their sheep and these angels show up listen this had never happened before humans had never been serenaded by a multitude of angels in the sky this just had never happened and here they are being invited to a baby shower you don't invite smelly shepherds from the field to a baby shower, you know? These things, this just didn't make sense, much less a baby shower for a king, much less the, the king of kings. This was surprising to them. This was unknown to them. This was unknown territory to them. And God speaks up through Gabriel, and he says, don't be afraid. What is it? It's the spoken word. Now follow this, right? They're afraid, and it's the spoken word of God. God speaks to them through Gabriel. He says, don't be afraid. I have good news for you. There's great joy in this message, and the spoken word was meant to arrest their fears. Now, stay with me, because we see this through the Bible. We see it through the Bible. Think about it. Think about your knowledge of Scripture, right? Abraham. God shows up with a a message for Abraham, and one of the first things he says to him is, don't be afraid, Abraham, I'm your shield. To Hagar, remember Hagar? Remember remember, uh, Abraham's, uh, his wife Sarah's handmaiden, right? They have a baby. Uh, uh, Sarah couldn't wait on God's timing and all the mess that made, and, and so Sarah's jealous. Abraham sends her away, and she's out in the middle of the desert, and she's afraid, and the angel shows up and says, what's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the boy crying. To Jacob, God says this, I'm the God of of your father don't be afraid to go down to Egypt to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 1 God uh, through Moses before they enter the promised land he says don't be afraid to Joshua 
before going into the land. We saw this in our Joshua series. God says to Joshua, don't be afraid. And to Gideon, right, who fears dying at the hand of the enemy, the, the, the angel says, don't be afraid. So over and over again in Scripture, we find God speaking to his people, speaking up to relieve their fears. Let's go back and look at it here. So Luke chapter 1, we see three truths that can arrest our fears. Let's look at those three illustrations of fear again in the Christmas story. Back in chapter 1, this is the angel speaking to Zechariah. He says this. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. So here's a, I'm going to give you three truths that can arrest our fears. The first one is, is that God's promise is sure. God speaks. When he speaks, he often gives a promise. We find his promises throughout the word of God. And here is a promise that God gives to old Zach, who's been praying for a son. God says, I've heard your prayer, and I'm going to give you a son in their old age. But what's that mean? What's that mean for us? It means that God is on the throne. It means that when God says something, when God gives a promise, he's able to keep it. Zechariah and his wife, they're, they're up in years. They shouldn't be having babies at this age, Elizabeth. They, they shouldn't be having babies. God made it possible. God said that it would happen, and it happened. What do we take from that? Well, oftentimes with our fears, if we would go to the word of God and we would hear what God has to say, God will always speak up to our fears and in his word we will find promises that will speak to the very fear that we have. Can you, can you identify with that? Have you ever been afraid of something financial? Are there some promises in the word of God that speak into that sort of fear? Well, yeah, there are. Yeah, there are. Ha have you ever been a afraid of some sickness? Have you ever been afraid of, of losing a loved one? Well, yeah, right? Nobody wants to see a, a loved one pass away. Are there any promises in the word of God that speak to those fears? Yes, Yes, there are. Every one of our fears, church, if we would go to the word of God and listen to what God says, we will always find promises in the word of God that speak directly to those fears. So God speaks up, and when he does, he relieves our fears through his promises. We also find, this is God's word to fearful Mary. This is later in chapter one, right? Mary gets this visit from Gabriel, hey, you're going to have a baby, right? Oh, okay. Um, here in the word to Mary, in verse, uh, this is chapter 1, verse 30, if you have your Bible open there, what does he say? He says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The second truth that arrests our fears is this, God's grace is always sufficient. It's always sufficient. You see what it says there? You have found favor with God. The word favor there means, it's the same word for grace in, in the New Testament. Grace. You know what grace is, right? God's unmerited favor. Church, 
The things that cause us to fear and get this sense of hopelessness, if we would redirect our attention to the grace of God and we would recognize the grace of God that has acted on our part and that will continue to be sufficient for us, it will alleviate our fears. Paul dealt with this. Remember, Paul's praying. He's got this thorn in the flesh, and, and how's he going to do ministry? How's he going to deal with this thing, right? And to a certain level, there was a sense of, of fear about that, and he's asking God to remove that, and, and Jesus says no. And what's the answer? Do you remember? He says, my grace, yes. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, and so Paul says, man, I, I have learned to boast in my weaknesses, He came to realize that in his weaknesses, he was strong in Christ's power. And so church, God's grace, it sustains us in those those matters of whatever is causing our heart to fear. If we will look to the word of God, if we will take the promises of the word of God, God's grace will sustain us and arrest us whatever fear it is that we're dealing with. The third truth that arrests our fears, if you go back now to chapter two, the fear of the the shepherds. The angel says, don't be afraid. This is Luke 2.10. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. The third truth is that God's joy is securable. It's securable. God is able to turn our fear into joy just like he did for the shepherds. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? God can take the fears that you have and replace those fears with joy and with peace. So when God speaks up, he relieves our fears. So what, do you, what fear are you dealing with? What has you having this sense of hopelessness inside? God speaks up. Will you listen? Will you let the word of God speak into your life and the promises of the word of God to supply you with the grace that you need in dealing with that? And when you do, there's joy. There's peace that replaces the fear. So, number one, when God speaks up, he, what does he do, church? He relieves our fear. Secondly, when God speaks up, He writes our focus. He writes our focus. This is verse number 11. It says today, the angel says, Today in the city of David a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. He writes our focus. The angel directs the attention of the shepherds to Jesus. That's what he does here, right? He says, calm down. Don't die. I have good news for you. There's a Savior that has been born. He's Christ the Lord. And so the angels directing their focus away from their fear to Jesus, to Christ. When we find ourselves in fear, we need to focus on three things about Christ. First of all, his person. There are three things that are said about the person of Jesus here in this first verse. First of all, that he is, what is it? The Savior. See it in verse 11? Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior. What does a Savior do? 
Simple answer. What is it? He, he saves people. He rescues people, right? How many of you like superhero movies, superhero shows, right? I mean, the whole idea of that is they, they rescue, right? They deliver uh, the, the victim, right, from, the, from the, the powerful enemy, right? They, they come in and they, they make a, a daring rescue. They put their life on the line. Jesus is the Savior. Listen, when we are dealing with fears in our life, church, listen, I want to encourage you, stop and focus on who Jesus is and remember that you have a Savior that Jesus Christ came into this world and he gave his life for you. That he hung on a cross and he took your sins in his body. He took my sins in his body. He took our place. He went all the way to death for us. Who's done that for you lately? Who's died for you lately? Nobody. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He gave his all for you. What do we have to be afraid of then? I mean, even, let's just play that out, even if our worst fears come true and the diagnosis is bad and we, and we, we end up losing our life here on this earth, right? If Jesus is your Savior, what's that look like? Sitting on this side, right? Sitting on this side of the pearly gates still looks kind of scary. I mean, if we're just being honest, right? I mean, it still looks kind of a little scary. Like I gotta, it's the dying part, right? It's not death because death is just a, you're just from here to there. It's the dying part that kind of gets scary. And sitting on this side of it, it can, there can still seem some scare in that. But church, listen, we have to anchor our faith and our trust in him. And we have to come back to the reality that he's our savior. He came into this world because of death. This is why he came. Because that is what we all deserve. Not only just a physical death, but an eternal death. All eternity, right? Revelation talks about that. The second death. That's what we deserve. That is why Jesus Christ came into this world. To save us, our soul. And to give us eternal life with him forever in heaven. Forever. This is, pray for Vicki. This is her first Christmas without her husband. Her husband died passed away, went to heaven in March, in March. And we were talking about this before the service. You pray for her because this is hard. First Christmas, and some of you have been through this. You, you've, you've been through this. You've lost a spouse, and that's a difficult thing. And we were talking for a few minutes and just remembering that, you know, there's a day, and Vicki rejoices in that, that, right, Vicki? That's what she said. I'm going to see him again. I'm going to be with him again, Right? Remember that you have a Savior. Whatever that fear is that is gripping your heart, time out, refocus, look to your Savior. Also, he is the Christ. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah. He's the Christ, right? That word Messiah goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Uh, this this deliverer that would come in, that would that would usher in a, a new era for, for the Jews. And, and they were looking for the Messiah for hundreds of years. 
And by the fact that the angels are now saying the Messiah is here, to a Jew living in the first century, you know that was like, that was the best news that any Jew could get at that time. Frankly, it's the best news that's ever been given on planet Earth. But I mean, it was here they had been waiting. This was the promise of God for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so when, when the angel said, the Messiah is here, this is like God is faithful. God answers his word. God will do what he said. He's the Messiah. And that's what we have to remember, church. When, we are, when our fears come upon us and, and, and tend to overwhelm us, if we will focus on Christ, that he is our Savior and that he is the Christ, he's the Messiah, He's the one who, who, who has kept the promise of God. God is a promise keeper. How that can calm our hearts down and bring us to peace. He's the Messiah. And he's also, says there in verse 11, who, who is the Messiah? Who is the Lord? And here in the context, that title refers to him being God. That he's God. That as God, he's above everything, right? He's above your circumstances. What has you wrapped up in fear and hopelessness? He's above it. He's on the throne. He's almighty God. The angel says to Mary after, you know, giving her this news, she's like, well, how's this gonna happen? And and the angel explains, it's gonna be from the Holy Spirit. And Mary, with God, nothing's impossible. Church, do we believe that? Do we believe that with God, nothing is impossible? You know, I I think sometimes we believe it in a matter-of-fact kind of a way, in a belief kind of a way, and it's genuine. But sometimes in our own situation, when our world is rocked, it can be hard for us to see and believe in a God big enough to deal with our problem, our fear, our hopelessness. We magnify the problem. We magnify the fear. We focus on that. And, it, you know, the longer we dwell on it, the bigger it gets. And the bigger it gets, the smaller God gets in our mind. The weaker he becomes. It just feels like this is too big. This is too bad. This is just impossible. And we have to remind ourselves as we go back to focus on Christ that he is the Lord. He's the Lord. And as the Lord, he rules as he wills. And that if, if he's my savior, if he gave his life for me, I can trust that whatever he as my Lord wills for my life, I have to trust that it's good. That doesn't mean it's going to end all good. It doesn't mean that it's all going to be rosy, you know, and just sunshine and lollipops and, you know, just uh, no problems. It doesn't mean that. We're going to have problems and we're going to have difficulty. Jesus exemplified that in his own life. But if he gave his life for us, if he, if he loved us more than anyone has ever loved us, he gave his life for us, why, why do we get so afraid that we don't feel like we can trust him? Like we have to control it when we should just be willing to give control to the one who's the Lord, who is our Savior, who is the Christ. 
So focus on him, on his person. Focus on his presence. The angel says this. He says, this is going to be a sign for you. You're going to find the baby wrapped in tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. Jesus is here, the angel's saying. He's, the baby's in Bethlehem. Go find him. God speaks up, and he directs them to go seek Jesus. And he's saying, look, you can actually go spend time with him tonight. That's what he's saying. You actually can go spend time with the Messiah. Woo! Wow! That, that, was, just, that was amazing news to some shepherds. The reality of it is, church, you and I, we can spend time with the Lord, the Christ, the Savior of all the universe, Almighty God. We can spend time with him. Wow. Like, directly in his presence, like we can fellowship with him, commune with, with our God. You know, when we do that, it changes the fears, the hopelessness, doesn't it? Have, you've experienced this, right? We've all experienced this, haven't we? How it changes everything when we focus on his person, and his presence, right? His presence. I, I think it's so nicely illustrated in Matthew chapter 14. Remember this? The disciples are out in a boat and, and it's a storm and Jesus sees them from a distance from the top of the mountain and he, then he walks out to them. Remember this? And, and they think they're seeing a ghost and they are absolutely scared to death. And what does Jesus say? He says, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You see, before Jesus ever calmed the storm, he went to them. He said, don't be afraid because I'm here. The storm's still going on. The winds are still blowing, right? But I'm here with you. And church, that's what we have to remember, that in the chaos of the world and in the midst of our storm and that thing that has us wrapped up and so afraid, we have to remember that our Savior is with us, that God is with us in the midst of of the storm. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, right? He says this, if the Lord be with us, we have no cause to fear. His eye is upon us. His arm is over us. His ear open to our prayer. His grace sufficient. His promise unchangeable. You see, Christmas isn't about the absence of fear or trouble. Christmas is about the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. So we focus on that. We focus on his person. We focus on his presence. And then we focus on his peace because as you keep reading the Christmas story, verse 13 and 14, there on the screen, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and what? Peace on earth. So God's word brings peace to even the most troubled most fearful heart. God spoke about this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. These are, these are verses that, that you want to memorize if you haven't already. You want to mark them in your Bible. When, when you are troubled in your heart, you want to go to Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and you want to remember that what, what, the, what Paul tells us there when he says, don't worry about anything, don't be afraid, don't be fearful about anything. He says, but in everything, through prayer, 
and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. Talk to God about what it is that you're so afraid of. Talk to him about it. Bring it before him. And it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we focus on him, we bring our fears to him. God says, you'll have my peace. I will give you peace in your heart. So when God speaks up, he relieves our fears. Here's number three and we'll be done. What do we do then? When God speaks up, here's what we're supposed to do. What does it say? We're to respond with faith. Look what it says here. And notice the shepherd's response. This is verse number 15. The shepherd's response, the shepherd said to one another, let's go. Let's go. We heard the word. They believed, but they didn't just believe. They actually went. That is exactly what we are to always do with God's message to us. We're always to respond. We're to be a doer, right? Isn't that what the Bible says in James? We're to be a doer of the word. So how do we respond? Number one, we respond immediately. They say, let's go straight to Bethlehem. <coughs> it's the middle of the night. They're not like, guys, let's, uh, let's take a little nap here. It's been a long day. Let's just chill for the evening. We'll get up early in the morning. We'll go. Nope. They're going. And they're going right now. That's how God wants us to respond to his word. How promptly do we respond to God's word? Let me ask you this. How, how quickly do you respond with Philippians 4, 6, and 7 when you have fear in your heart? Do you, do you go to God right away? Do you take that to him right away? You pray about that right away. Or do, or, or do we worry for a couple days, and then when we're just at our wits end, they're like, ah, I gotta pray about this, I can't handle this anymore. <laughs> you know? Sometimes we do that, We've all, I've been there. But if we would just respond immediately, hey, let's go. Here's some fear, here's a problem, here's a situation, let's take this to God in prayer. They responded immediately, they also responded precisely. What'd they do? They went straight to Bethlehem. They went right to the place. They followed the instructions. They did exactly what God told them to do. They didn't run home. They didn't hurry over to Jerusalem. No. They went to Bethlehem. And this is what we have to do. We have to be in the habit of doing exactly what God says in his word, to obey him precisely, exactly the way, exactly what he tells us to do. Sometimes when we're afraid, we, we almost feel like frozen in our fear. You've been, like, you know what that is, right? Like so afraid, like we're, we can't do anything. That's the worst thing we can do as a believer we have to go to God. We have to open his word. And then we have to put feet in action to what he's telling us to do if we're going to see him give us this victory over our fear. So respond immediately. Respond precisely. And then respond trustfully. Trustfully. 
verse 15, they say, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord made known to us, right? They're not like, huh, let's go to Bethlehem and see if this really happens. No, they are going to Bethlehem expecting to find Jesus. They're responding with trust. They're responding with faith. And that is what biblical hope does. Biblical hope expects God to do what he says. Do you expect God to always do what he says? Can, you, can we expect God to always do what he says, church? Amen. Yes. Yes, we can. And yes, we should every time. Well, what did they find? Verse 16, they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the maid, just like the angel told them. And look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. You see that? When we respond with faith to what God says, we find no, we have no reason to fear, but every reason to hope, to hope. And so church, that's what we're to do. We're to focus on Christ and respond with faith. And so tonight, what, what is it that has gripped your heart? What, what matter of fear is there in your heart? Can I encourage us tonight and as we go into this week and into this Christmas season to focus on Christ and to respond with, to God's voice with faith, believing his promises and acting upon his word?